3: You know what's better than cat videos on YouTube, Caroline? What? Nothing. Stuff Mom Never Told
4: You videos on YouTube, Caroline. (gasps) That is better. That's right. Go to YouTube.com
0: slash Stuff Mom Never Told You to see our brand new channel. That's YouTube.com slash Stuff Mom Never Told You. Go listen and subscribe.
4: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, since we're talking about bedwetting, obligatory, embarrassing
0: <laughs> story from childhood moment. Uh, yeah. I mean, I. I am sure that as a very small child, maybe I wet the bed. I mean, I guess I'm not sure. I only remember doing it once, and I remember it because I actively made the decision to do it. Oh. Yeah, I, I don't know what was up with that, but I remember in my head, it was like late at night, and I did have to go to the bathroom, and I didn't necessarily want to get up, and I just remember thinking, other kids do it. It's a thing that kids do. And so I wet the bed and then I was like, oh, this is the worst. That
4: is the that is <laughs> my favorite example of childhood peer pressure I've ever heard. <laughs> what other kids are peeing in the bed? I'm going to do it. My my most uh, vivid memory of wetting myself. And I'm sure listeners out there who are eating lunch right now. <laughs> happy lunchtime. Uh, but my most vivid memory of <laughs> urinating <laughs> on myself was not in the bed, although I know that I did it. Sometimes as a kid, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a chronic thing. But I remember one time I was in the car with my mom in our GMC van. It was <laughs> huge. And she had to stop off at the grocery store on our way home. And I remember when she pulled in to the parking lot. I had to go so bad I wanted to wait in the car. Well, mom ran into a friend inside. Apparently. Oh, no, that's the worst. Yeah. And I held it as long as I could. And then I could hold it. No more.
0: Oh, why didn't you go in the store and, like, use the store bathroom? That's such a good idea.
4: (laughs) I did not think about that at all. Oh, that's the worst. I know my mom was a lengthy grocery shopper also. Yeah, and of course she felt terrible when she got back to the car, But and I was mortified because I was of an age. I was probably in the double digits 18. No, (laughs) (laughs) last week. (laughs) No, I was probably 10 or 11 when it happened. So it was mortifying for me and for my mother as well. But... Let's go briefly into the history of bedwetting, because it is not just something that happens to (laughs) strong-willed young girls (laughs) such as ourselves. It is a cross-cultural thing that happens all over the world, and it has an extensive history. If you go all the way back to 1550 B.C. to the Ebers Papyrus of Egypt... There is a bedwetting treatment that they write about, which is a vegetable and a mineral salt in a fluid vehicle, such as water, beer, or honey. So I guess you
0: drink that? I wouldn't want to drink honey, but I mean, maybe if you put it in beer. So give your child a beer before (laughs) he or she goes to bed. Now, in my experience, that just causes people to wet the bed more, probably.
4: Yeah, and this is coming, by the way, from the book Stop Washing the Sheets, How to Cure Your Child's Bedwetting by Lane M. Robson. And uh, Robson notes that in 1904, a German physician, Dr. Foundler, pioneered the bedwetting alarm, which we're going to talk about some more. And in the 1930s, some Yale psychologists, O.H. Maurer and Willie May Maurer confirmed that this alarm therapy is actually highly effective.
0: Yeah, uh ran a home for handicapped children, and these children would wet themselves at night and develop rashes because they themselves could not get out of bed and, you know, fix the situation themselves. So he developed just a simple alarm so that the nurses would come change the child at night. So not only did this help the kids not get a rash, but he found, surprisingly, to his surprise, that some of the kids actually stopped wetting themselves as a result of the alarm. Maybe
4: because it woke them up when they were either wetting themselves or about to... Yeah wet themselves, and so maybe that set up a neurological or physiological reaction that that cut off the bedwetting. Could be. Well, scientists looked more into what is going on in our body, speaking of physiology and neurology, and in the 1960s, there was a massive medical breakthrough in the science of bedwetting when they isolated an antidiuretic hormone from the pituitary gland, and they were able to make a synthetic form of this called desmopressin, and desmopressin would be, for instance, the opposite of a diuretic-like caffeine that
0: makes you go to the bathroom a lot. Right, and I can attest to that because I drink a gallon of coffee every morning, so I'm nice and dehydrated. There are so many bathroom breaks during the recordings. So many! This is edited together in an incredible way. (laughs) It takes about three hours to get through. (laughs) Um, Well, so flashing forward in the 1990s, in 1997, the International Children's Continent Society formed to support research and education on bedwetting because there are so many aspects to it. There's a psychological aspect, you know, actual neurological or physical aspects to it. And so they wanted to help research the topic.
4: And while something like the International Children's Continent Society might sound a little bit funny, it, bedwetting is a serious thing. it happens to so many kids and especially when kids don't naturally age out of it, mm-hmm. it can be a, a bit of an issue for them and for their parents. Um, and Caroline, you mentioned that the International Children's Continent Society also looks into maybe the psychological aspects of it, as did we must mention Sigmund Freud, and not surprisingly, folks, Freud had quite a. How would you describe his theory of bedwetting? A very Freud-like. Very Freud. Freud had a very <laughs> Freudian explanation for why children wet the bed. It was, in his words, the libidinal dimension of primary enuresis. Right. He
0: uh, he looked at. This patient, Dora, uh, he, he studied why she was had wet the bed into a late age. He looked at all of her dreams, a lot of which had to do with fire and escaping a fire. And they couldn't escape the fire because her mother had to go back for the jewel box. And, oh, we all know the jewel box is a metaphor for a vagina and on and on and on. And so he basically interpreted nocturnal inuresis, which is like the scientific term for bedwetting, as a substitute for genital gratification, noting the links between, as we just said, enuresis and fire, a theme that he discovered in dreams as representative of frightening, aggressive, or erotic drives. So, in short, he connected wetting the bed with masturbation.
4: Oh, because enuresis, bedwetting, that, like, puts out the fire as masturbation might calm desire. I didn't mean to just rhyme that, (laughs) but it
0: did.
2: not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life.
3: PNC Bank, brilliantly
2: boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association member, FDIC.
4: Yeah, Freud, Freud thought masturbation caused bedwetting and moving along. (laughs) No, that was the thing though with this case with Dora reading about it. He almost forced her into admitting that. There were these, you know, sexual urges that mm-hmm. were going along with it. Uh, but thankfully, bedwetting has moved far beyond Freud.
0: Yeah. Although, if you look at it today and what doctors know, they still aren't completely sure. Like they haven't pinpointed the exact reason that it starts or stops. There are a lot, as we said, a lot of contributing factors. Whether you know the kids might be too deep asleep to, to wake up, they might have smaller bladders, they're scared to get out of bed. But let's get into the nuts and bolts of nocturnal inuresis, which, don't worry kids out there of a young age who might be listening, our six-year-old listeners... It tends to taper off by about age six or seven. Yeah, there
4: was a study which found that among 14,000 British kids that they looked at, bedwetting was most common between four and a half and 5.4, to be exact, <laughs> years old. But the more severe the bedwetting, the longer it tends to last into adolescence. Um, and some of the reasons that the Mayo Clinic cites for why bedwetting happens is, uh, for instance, a small bladder The child's bladder might not be developed enough to hold urine produced during the night. Or the kid might have an inability to recognize a full bladder because those nerves that control the bladder are slow to mature. And having a full bladder might not wake your child, which reminds me of now having dreams that I am either really thirsty or just searching for a bathroom Mm -hmm. everywhere. I wonder what if my nerves are slow (laughs) because then I'll, I'll wake up and be like, oh, thank. Thank goodness. No, I, I've
0: had those dreams, too, where you're like, you have to go to the bathroom so badly, and you're like, you're trying to do all this stuff in your dream. Meanwhile, you're like, no, but I have to go to the bathroom. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, porta-potties pop up. There's all- <laughs> But once you, if you get inside the bathroom, uh and you
4: see the to- once once all that stuff starts happening, I feel like alarm bells start going off in my brain. They're like, wake up. <laughs> Something's going to happen. Uh But they've also looked into hormone imbalances, because during childhood, some kids don't produce enough of uh, of that antidiuretic hormone that we mentioned at the top of the podcast, uh, and it's vasopressin, which slows nighttime urine production. It's the stuff that kicks into gear to lower things like thirst, hunger, needing to go to the
0: bathroom to calm you down so that we can hopefully sleep through the night. Yeah, there's also factors like stress, stressful events like becoming a big brother or sister, starting a new school or sleeping away from home could trigger bedwetting that maybe the child hasn't gone through before necessarily. Maybe it's something new just in response to a stressful event. Also, physical things like urinary tract infections that could make it difficult for your child to control urination. Sleep apnea, which is something that I didn't realize going into this, that sometimes bedwetting is a sign of this obstructive breathing condition uh, when your child's breathing is interrupted during sleep, it's often because of inflamed or enlarged tonsils or adenoids, which, whew, thank goodness I got those ripped out of me when I was six. Uh, other signs of sleep apnea include snoring, frequent ear and sinus infections, sore throat, and daytime drowsiness. Uh, also diabetes. For uh, a child who's usually dry at night, bedwetting might be the first sign that they are developing Diabetes.
4: And just for a couple other conditions that are often linked to chronic bedwetting, constipation is one thing. If the the child doesn't empty out his or her bowels, that can press on the bladder, making it harder for them to hold in urine, making them more likely to wet the bed. And there might be a structural problem in the urinary tract or the nervous system that is tripping up that brain-body system between the bladder and the brain saying, hey, you know what, you need to get up and go to the bathroom. But the most astounding fact that I learned about bedwetting is that for all of these things, yeah, you got sleep apnea, diabetes, constipation, small bladder, yada, yada, yada. But Caroline, here's the thing. If you're a child and you're wetting the bed, you know who you can blame? Your parents. Of most course, likely. you can. You can blame your parents. Now, Freud would probably also have a heyday with this. But bedwetting, yes, it runs in the family. These statistics are coming from American Family Physician, which is the peer-reviewed journal of the American Academy of Family Physicians. And if both parents wet the bed when they were kids. Their child will have a 77% chance of bedwetting.
0: That's crazy. I, I never, I never knew there was a, an, an inherited
4: trait yeah, who in knew, bedwetting. Who knew you could pass that on to your kids? And just to note how strong it is, if one parent went to bed but the other didn't, you have a 43% chance, but even if neither parent Chronically wet the bed, still there is a 15% chance just because of developmental stuff going on in kids' platters, that nervous system. Um, But moms and dads also have a little bit of a different contributing factor. Bedwetting dads, for instance, correlate to a 7-in-1 chance of having a bedwetting child, whereas moms pass down a 5-in-2 chance.
0: Interesting. Uh-huh. And another interesting thing I found when we were looking stuff up for this episode was a link to breastfeeding, which I also never would have thought of. Uh, this is coming from a 2006 study in the journal Pediatrics. They looked at 55 uh, bedwetting subjects from a bedwetting clinic and compared them to controls. They found that the uh, bedwetting cases were significantly less likely to have been breastfed they also found that the controls had been breastfed for a much longer period. And the study says that breastfeeding longer than three months may protect against bedwetting during childhood. Breast milk supplemented with formula did not make a difference in the rate of inuresis. So I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what's up with that. But that's interesting. Yeah.
4: Another correlation between breastfeeding and Child behavior and child development. but And one that, yeah, like you, I'd never heard of that before. Um, But whether or not your parents wet the bed or whether or not breastfeeding is a factor, I mean, hands down, this is a very common thing that happens to kids. If your child is wetting the bed or if you are a child, one of our elementary school listeners who happens to wet the bed, it's totally normal. It's totally normal. A lot of times kids will age out of it, but for an idea of just how normal it is, uh, 13% of six-year-olds will do it. As you get older, obviously, that percentage is going to decline. So at 10 years old, usually about 5% of kids are still doing it. Um, for every year, experts estimate that the percent of bedwetters tends to drop about 15%. But there is a gender
0: difference. <laughs> Yeah, boys are, are two times more likely to wet the bed. Which, again, I'm like, it blows my mind. Yeah, and I didn't see any specific explanation for boys versus girls. Well, but boys, I know, judging from my, I, you know, my brother and sister-in-law have a boy and a girl, and I've heard them talk about this numerous times, that boys take longer to potty train in general than girls do, so. I'm guessing it's going to have something
4: to do with maybe differences in the male and female urogenital systems. Mm, Good idea, Dr. Kristen. Indeed. I'm wearing my lab coat right now. (laughs) Maybe something to do with bladder size differences. I don't know. But it's funny, though, that that's the case, because in adulthood, I feel like women tend to
0: have to go to the bathroom more often than guys do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do have to run to the bathroom a lot during movies. <laughs> this is true. Or at music festivals. Oh, God. That's the worst. I'd rather go dehydrated. <laughs> I'd rather pass out from dehydration at a music festival than use a porta potty. That's why I carry wet naps with me wherever I go. Or you can get one of those Go Girl funnels. I know. Do you know, I, who was I just telling about that? That they were like, their jaw was on the table when I was describing it. That they existed. That funnels, listeners, what we're talking about. Some of you
4: have sent us links to this. That, uh, we're talking about how funnels that allow women to use the bathroom easier standing up. It allows us to
0: aim, essentially. Right, and I was describing, like, there is, like, the P-Pal or whatever that's, like, an actual, like, rubber thing, but then there's the cardboard ones, and I was describing it, like, it's, like, the container that, you know, you got your hot dog in in the school lunch line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and that just got the eyes to go wider in my description. But anyway. Back to our topic. Yeah,
4: there was one very random finding that we uncovered in the 2007 journal Neurology and Eurodynamics. And the study was bedwetting in Chinese children, epidemiology and predictive factor, which just to sum it up, Chinese kids wet the bed less.
0: Yeah, and we were reading the abstract, and I, I wrote a note down that had a lot of question marks next to it because they say, likely due to cultural differences. And I'm like, what? Cultural differences? But there are a lot of cultural differences because there was one study, uh, you know, completely abandoning the Chinese children, sorry. Uh, there was one study that looked at uh children in... I can't remember what African country or culture it was in, but the kids were essentially potty trained, like, by... Age one. I mean, they were potty trained so early because they slept next to the mother. And so oh. the mother bedwetting is usually preceded by a period of arousal, like the child will stir or move or make a noise, maybe uh, talk in their sleep or, or sleepwalk as an older child. But anyway, so this little baby will will stir by the mother and she will instantly get up and take it to the potty. And so the baby just learns from an early age, like, this is where I go to the bathroom. I don't go in bed or in my diaper or whatever. So, I mean, yeah, depending on your culture or your upbringing or where you sleep as a kid, that could also have a lot to do with it.
4: Yeah, I would wonder if there are any parents listening who practice Mm co-sleeping, where their very young children will sleep in beds alongside them, if maybe that makes potty training and bedwetting easier, could be. Um, yeah. If if anybody knows, send us an email. Um, but let's talk about treatment for bedwetting because usually it goes away on its own like we've mentioned a couple of times by age 7 it's that's usually the the age that it tapers off and we're gathering this information from articles from the Nemours Foundation Kids Health site Mayo Clinic and WebMD um but some of the methods that experts recommend rather than just immediately going to the doctor or putting the child on some sort of medication um maybe have your child if you're having bedwetting issues go to the bathroom right before bedtime. It's something called double voiding. So maybe after dinner or around PJ time, Mm -hmm. when you put your PJs on, you go to the bathroom. And then right before they
0: climb under the covers. They have them, you have them go to the bathroom again. I double void. You double void? Well, I'm very neurotic and I, like, I, if I just go to the bathroom, like, before I read in bed, cause I read in bed, so like, I'll go to the bathroom, get in bed and read, and if I just turn the light out, I'll lie there for seriously, like, five minutes going, like, do I have to pee again? Should I pee again? But I'm so comfortable. Do I have to get out of bed? So I just automatically, I automatically double void. You're just learning so much about me. Yeah, well, I know exactly what you're talking about.
4: I do, I do that too as well, especially if I'm having a water yes. with my nighttime reading. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, but speaking of water with our nighttime readings, steer clear of fluids before bed, especially caffeinated ones. This is why soda pop for dinner is just not a good idea. Soda pop. Soda pop. Yeah, there's, uh, if you want to get really specific about it, there is a rule of thumb that you can follow, which, <laughs> which splits up 40% of liquids between 7 a.m. and noon for children, then 40% between noon and 5, and then only 20% of liquids after 5 p.m. How you would really uh, manage that divvying up, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but one thing that you don't want to do if your child is wetting the bed, don't punish him or her. Don't
0: punish your old tyke. That's right. Uh, doctors and experts offer the advice that you should offer small rewards like stickers, like gold star, little kid. You didn't wet the bed. Also, maybe have your kid help you change the sheets and explain that it's not punishing. you. We're not punishing you by making you do this. It's just part of the process. If you wet the bed, you got to help mommy change the sheets. Mm-hmm. Then, or dad, or daddy, or dad can change the
4: sheets too. <laughs> um, but if you are having recurrent problems, the most effective treatment that you can probably go with is the moisture alarm, that device that was initially pioneered in 1904 by the German physician, Dr. Foundler. And these are, these days, battery-operated devices that connect to moisture-sensitive pads in either the child's pajamas or in the bedding, and it goes off when it senses wetness. And usually, between 2 to 12 weeks, you will see a major difference in a child's bedwetting.
0: I mean, I think that's really impressive. I you know it's not like it's negative reinforcement yeah. at all it's and it's not positive reinforcement either it's just like either waking you up if the child doesn't wake up or it's waking the kid up and saying okay don't do that get up and use the bathroom if you know if the kid's old enough to get out of bed by himself a typical last resort is medication like the stuff we've talked about like desmopressin because that ups the antidiuretic hormone in the body but there's a potential scary side effect of seizures if the child drinks too much liquid while on the medication. There are also medications to reduce bladder contractions and increase bladder capacity, and the antidepressant imipramine can change children's sleep and wake patterns, but it's also possible to have a fatal overdose with this medicine. So, I mean, obviously, tread lightly and, you know, consult your doctor before you do anything like this. But, hey parents, I would say try that moisture alarm. That sounds incredible and if you have tried it I would love to hear about it. Yeah
4: and if you are dealing with an older child who is having trouble still wetting the bed um, experts also recommend having him or her keep a journal or a calendar of when it happens. Again, not to shame them but to empower them to understand and overcome the bedwetting. It kind of puts sort of in the same way as having them help out with changing the sheets. Mm-hmm. It makes them more cognizant of What's going on and allows them to start seeing any patterns and uh, just hopefully brings more awareness to it. But when should you really call the doctor or a pediatric urologist or nephrologist? because like we mentioned, wetting the bed might not just be a sign that a child you know might have a small bladder or something like that, but it could be a sign of an underlying medical condition like UTIs, constipation, bladder problems,
0: diabetes, severe stress, Right, and so some things you want to look for in your child if this starts happening is if he or she suddenly starts wetting the bed after being consistently dry for at least six months, begins to wet his or her pants during the day, snores at night, we talked about sleep apnea, Uh, complains of a burning sensation or pain when urinating, that could be a UTI, has to urinate frequently, is drinking much more than usual, has swelling of the feet or ankles. Or if your child is still wetting the bed at the age of seven, which, as we said, is pretty much the average drop-off age.
4: But again, I don't think we can reiterate this enough it's not something for punishment because doctors used to think that bed wetting was caused by underlying psychological problems or that children were just acting out. Uh, but a lot of research now demonstrates that it's usually the opposite way around that if there is, if there are behavioral problems going along with it, a lot of times it might be a product of the embarrassment of waking up to a wet bed that could be leading to that kind of stuff.
0: Right? Because I mean, Kids know, I mean, especially older kids are aware that it's, it's kind of a no-no, that maybe they shouldn't be doing it. And uh, in 2007, there was a study published in Child, colon, Care, Health and Development uh, that basically talked to kids themselves, and they responded that they do think of it as a social problem. Boys and those who suffer from nocturnal inuresis in general were more likely to view bedwetting as more difficult for children to handle. So... It is seen as like a, a difficulty that children have to endure. It's like, you know, we as adults are like, oh, I have to go to work and I'm unfulfilled in my my job. Kids are like, oh, I've got to wet the bed. I've got to get over. This. I've got to wet the bed.
4: Oh, I've got to change my Thomas the Tank Engine sheets again.
1: <laughs>
0: but I mean, all that said, it's really not usually a sign, like you said, of deeper emotional issues most of the time. However, there was a study in 1996 in the journal Pediatrics called Bedwetting in U.S. Children, Epidemiology and Related Behavior Problems that found that the older kids are who wet the bed, the higher the prevalence of behavioral problems. But I wonder still, though, if it's
4: you know, kind of a chicken-and-the-egg thing, which right. came first. Is it the behavioral problems? Is it stress on the parents' end who, that might be causing that self-reporting of saying, yeah, you know, my kid is acting out? Because that's how this study was formatted. It was parents <laughs> basically checking the box to say yes or no that their older children are having behavioral problems. And maybe, again, it's that feeling of being out of control of their bodies or shame or embarrassment that could be causing it. And, um, yeah, because I, I, I did... I was expecting when we went into researching this episode that we were going to find a lot on the psychological underpinnings of Mm -hmm. it and maybe link to negative behavioral patterns and stress and stuff. And really, it was a lot more just focused on
0: physiology. Right, right. Like actual physical issues causing Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Well, so now that we've given you a lot of details about bedwetting and we've hopefully enlightened you that there's really nothing mentally wrong with your child and and emotionally wrong that it probably is just a normal physiological issue that they will grow out of oh and don't forget about genetics and (laughs) that you probably made your child wet the bed thanks to your genes uh we want to hear from parents and and did you wet the bed yeah and and for our, for our elementary school listeners, are you are you stressed out about it? Yeah,
4: perhaps this seems like not the most pleasant of topics, but given how common it is, I know I know there are parents out there who have some stories to share. So write to us, momstuffdiscovery is where you can send emails. You can tweet us at momstuffpodcast, and you can also message us on Facebook and be sure to like us while you are at it. Uh, and we're going to get to a couple of the letters that you sent in. But first, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back.
1: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over six million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand. Tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position.
2: not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life.
3: PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since
2: 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association member FDIC. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all.
3: Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI.
2: There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in,
4: And we've heard so much from everyone still hearing from folks about our episode on Fitzpo slash Fitspiration because uh, it was more of a controversial topic than I was anticipating. And we've got one here from Maddie, and I thought she had a, a, a really balanced response to the whole thing. She says, I had heard about Finspo long before and was disgusted, but I didn't realize how similar Fitspos were until I stumbled upon them. I found many Tumblr blogs dedicated to the subject and had never been so motivated in my life. It was just what I needed to start my fitness journey. I agree with what Kristen said about it being 70% Thinspo, but I would like to point out that many blogs promoting unhealthy eating and body images like to claim to be Fitspos. True Fitspiration acknowledges that thigh gaps are unrealistic and encourage everyone to love their body, no matter the size or shape. I agree that some bloggers go to the extremes that lead to obsessions that do more harm than good, but I know for me and many others, Fitspo is a way to stay motivated and share our progress. I personally have always been extremely out of shape and overweight, which caused me to feel terrible about myself. FitzBo blogs have taught me how to be confident and love myself as well as allowing me to discover all the awesome things my body is capable of doing. I advise listeners to do their research and do not believe everything they read on a FitzBo page. I would also say be realistic with your lifestyle. Although diet and exercise is important, it should not be what your world revolves around.
0: So thanks Maddie. I think that's some, some great insight there. Okay, I have a message here from Jessica. She wrote to us on Facebook. She says, hey, ladies. Hey, Jessica. Hey, girl. Love the podcast and was particularly moved by the Fitzbow podcast. I'm a smallish person, 5'4 and 125 pounds, but I felt the need to start exercising to get healthy, especially heart healthy, and moving around is just plain good for you. However, like Caroline stated, when I look around for workouts or various inspiration online, I end up feeling awful about myself. This has been extremely frustrating since I want to be proud of the body I have and not feel pressured to be thinner or fitter. I just want to have a healthy heart. Also, added pressure of my family being extremely fit and sometimes judgmental. My father is a series biker, my sister is a dance major, and mother power walks like it's nobody's business. Of others with bad, aka typical, normal, beautiful, awesome bodies is very frustrating. Anyways, I am working on positive thinking and making running fun by doing it with my hilarious roommate who is very positive and fun. So that's great, Jessica. I, my roommate, dude roommate, is a huge runner, runs a lot, and I would never run with him because he is too
2: fast for me to keep up with.
0: But, I have been on the elliptical a couple times a week, which is good. And I am considering joining a gym to do kickboxing. Nice. Because I'm angry. (laughs) I just want to take it out on a bag.
4: As long as I don't walk into a kickboxing (laughs) class and there's like a photo of me (laughs) on the bag, I highly encourage it. (laughs) No, it's just a picture of Atlanta traffic, like taped up to the wall. I'm like, ugh, punch. That'll do it. Uh, well, thanks to everybody who's written in to us. momstuff@discovery.com is where you can email us. You can also message us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. And we're on Tumblr as well. We're at StuffMomNeverToldYou.Tumblr.com where you can find all of the things that we're doing in one convenient location. And, of course, don't forget to watch us on YouTube every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and more sometimes. We're coming out with new stuff, so you want to check it out. It's YouTube.com. Slash stuff mom never told you, and don't forget to be kind and subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.
2: This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking.
4: Zumo Play.